Hello and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. I am Patrick, your traveling podcaster back from an amazing podcast trip, visiting two states, traveling 2,500 miles and snagging three interviews with three unique and equally wonderful guests. First up, I met up with Matt Mason who is one of the co-creators and founders of the Monumental Loop and now the Monumental Loop 2.0. And we're going to talk all about that. But first, let me give a huge shout out to some new patrons that signed up in the last week. Tell you what, when I was out there driving the van all over the freaking universe, getting these conversations, I noticed that gas prices have gone up like a lot. I guess here in Texas, maybe because we got a shit ton of gas, I guess our prices are a little lower and I got on the road and I got sticker shock. So man, everyone who is supporting the show it is really making a difference and really helping to keep those wheels rolling, literally. So let's give a shout out to the news patrons. We got Jeff Bloodworthy, love that name, Barry Turner, and David Ortiz. Thank you all so much for joining the ranks and stepping up to be sustaining members of the show. And I'm going to keep putting out a sustained effort of trying to get on the road get these interviews, and bring them to y'all lovely people. It's a pretty fair agreement, I think, right? I actually have the next uh, Bikes for Death podcasting road trip. I need to come up with a fancy name or something, something clever. I have the next uh, round of interviews scheduled for next month. I'm actually heading out in two weeks to do a bike pack rafting trip. Details to follow, but that's coming up in two weeks. Then two weeks after that, I have three in-person interviews. So again, I appreciate all the support because it really is coming in handy, keeping the doors open, the lights on, and gas in the tank, air in the tires, and so on and so forth. All right, well, that's it. This episode is brought to you by you. There are no other sponsors, just your kind donations and your love is the only thing keeping Bikes or Death afloat. So thank you again, if you want to find out more about how you can support the show, head over to bikesordeath.com and you could sign up as a patron, which is a sustaining member. You could leave a one-time donation on PayPal if you think this episode or one of the other ones is particularly good. So if you got a little extra jingle jangle in your pocket and you think Bikes or Death is worth a couple of those dollars, you can uh, give a one-time donation on PayPal. And of course, also visit our store. We've got some hot merch in there and we've got some cool stuff coming. What about instant coffee? Hmm. Yeah, it's on its way. I got the email today. We have what I think is the best instant coffee I've ever tasted. In fact, I think it rivals my pour over coffee that I thought was super fancy. I mean, I, it's like really good. And so that's going to be up on the website in about a week or so. Again, we're waiting to uh, actually receive it, but I think it's going to be good. So be on the lookout for that. And I think that's it. All right. It has been a freaking whirlwind since the last episode, because like I said on the last episode, I literally finished 
recording that, the intro and the outro for that one, editing and getting it out there. And I had, I think about 12 hours or so to pack and finish up work and all those things to get on the road. Then I drove 12 hours. No, sorry. I drove six hours, slept in the van, drove another six hours, got to Matt Mason's house about 4 p.m., and by 5 p.m., I think it was wheels down with our bikes and we rode 10 miles up into the mountains. We camped right at the base of the Oregon mountains at a primitive campsite that Matt had identified. And it's one of his favorite spots. And it was quite beautiful. The weather was perfect. The trails were awesome. And it was great to just get to meet Matt. He was a super cool dude. He's one of those guys that kind of been following on social media, like probably a lot of y'all have. And I've always enjoyed his kind of humor, I guess. And uh, he's got a great beard. So who wouldn't want to go hang out with a cool desert rat like that? Him and the co-creator, and I think his name is Pablo or Paolo. I'm pretty sure his name is Pablo. And I apologize if I get that wrong, but I know we give him a shout out in the episode. But he and his friend are the co-creators of the Monumental Loop, as I mentioned. And you may have noticed that they just revised the route and now it's being referred to as a Monumental Loop 2.0. And that was done for some very specific reasons, ultimately to make it better. But we'll get into all that in the episode. So no need right now. After a great night of just palavering and enjoying a New Mexico night with some new friends, woke up the next morning and recorded this episode. The sun was just coming up. The weather was nice. The views were beautiful. And I wonder if you'll notice, because when I listen to this episode back, I can feel that I'm more natural, that I'm more comfortable, and that overall the flow of the conversation is better. And it just really speaks to the value of those in-person interviews to just be able to sit there, especially in a cool place like that after doing a bikepacking trip and getting to know Matt. It was a really cool experience and it was really the fruition of this goal and this plan that I've been working on for a couple of years now. And I got to tell you, the whole thing, after that, I went to go interview and meet up with Lael. And after that, I went back to Santa Fe, New Mexico and, and interviewed John Watson, who's the owner and founder of The Radivist. And I got to say, it, it was a freaking awesome trip. Like it just went off without a hitch. I slept in my van. I got the interviews, bada boom, bada bang, had a great time and came home and literally got home at like three o'clock and I had to pick up my daughter from school at 3.30. But man, it worked. It was great. I loved it. And I hope that you'll see the value in these in-person interviews and that you can help support it. All right, well, as you can tell, I'm super excited. I'm giddy, in fact, giddy. Just got home yesterday um, off this trip and I'm worked my little tushy off to get this episode out, both because I'm excited and also because I'm excited. And I guess a little bit because I know that you're gonna get to like it too. Okie dokie pokey. That'll do it for me. Thank you, Matt Mason, for hosting me on the Monumental Loop. I hope it is a monumental success. I think it will be. You got a great thing going there. And I encourage people to, um, after listening to the episode, follow up with Matt. Uh, he's a super cool guy, easy to talk to, very knowledgeable, 
And he also provided a write-up that's going to be on the blog, which will include some other resources and some other links to cool things that are going on in the Las Cruces area. So really they got a lot going on and it's a, it seems like a super cool community. So I'm wishing them all the luck in the world and it was great to be able to just kind of get a, a taste of it. All right, well, that's it. Let's get to the show. But first, Miles Arbor is going to take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, we are on the Monumental Loop with Matt Mason. Some of you may know about the Monumental Loop and Matt. Um, Matt's a little bit behind the scenes, though. He doesn't like to come out of the woods too often. So I actually came into the woods to interview him. So he picked a nice campsite for us here right on the loop. And uh, first, thanks for uh, having me out here, man. No, no, thanks for coming. I guess I should uh, acknowledge the fact that this is the... First, like, Bikes or Death road trip back on after COVID and, well, COVID's still here, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, after the restrictions have lifted a little and vaccines are kind of rolling out, it's like, this is the first one. So I'm, like, beyond giddy to be here to kind of finally get the van out on the road and start doing some in-person interviews, doing a little riding. So, man, it feels good. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. It feels good in lots of ways. Yeah, for sure. You know, just to kind of set the scene, due to my schedule, we didn't get to ride the whole loop and we didn't ride much of it, but um, I did get to get a feel for, you know, what the area is like, but can you describe like why you love this campsite so much, this one you brought me to? Yeah. I mean, I guess the campsite and the ride together work really well, but we rode from my house 10 miles, 11 miles, mostly in the dirt, Uh, a lot of single track. And now we're up here on the edge of the Oregon mountain Desert Peaks National Monument, and then an Oregon Mountains Wilderness is sort of our backdrop to the east. And it's kind of an impressive, jagged mountain range that rises, you know, 4,000 feet from where we are, kind of straight above us. And then every night you camp here, you get the sunset views uh, on that when it glows orange and purple. And and then in the morning, the sunrise comes up, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is a, a beautiful spot for all those reasons you said, but... I was interested to know a little bit more. It seems based on what you were saying that this isn't a designated campsite that we're in. Are there any designated campsites or is it all just dispersed camping? No, on the loop, it's all dispersed camping. Uh, There are designated camp spots in the monument, one on the other side of that mountain range. Very few though. And then on the route, it's all, you just camp wherever the mood strikes you. Yeah. Which is great, I think. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have to have a set distance and make reservations and you can kind of just go and see where the wind takes you. It's also cool because you can come out and stake out any spot you want. Like you said, this is one of your eight hotels. And nobody's ever here. I mean, if I'm here or if I am, it's my friends. If I show up and somebody's here, I generally, I know their name or, you know, I'll come over and say hi, even if I don't, I guess. But do most people in the community, I mean, especially the cycling community, I mean, they probably know, know you. 
Uh, yeah, now they do for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, well, you've been around a while, man. Yeah, I've been here about twelve years. Twelve years, yeah. dang. So, is it fair to say that? I mean, are you calling this home? It's because I, I got to think about. It, I'm like, man, this guy's like putting in a lot of work. It, it feels like you're putting in a lot of work in this area to make the community better, the writing better. Is this your home? Yeah, I think it is. And also, I mean, I do think it is. Also, I would say that it doesn't, people say often that I'm putting in a lot of work and it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah. You know, it doesn't. Maybe because I'm not getting paid, it doesn't feel like work. I can choose to do what I want to do. Yeah. So I guess I'm just having a lot of fun. Uh, But this does feel like home for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And this experience, you know, working on this definitely ties me to this place more than had I not been doing it. Yeah, for sure. And I don't want to just say you, actually. Why don't you mention, uh, I know your friend also helped develop the route, so I don't want to go on and not give him a shout-out. Yeah, no, Pablo Lopez is like the center of the biking world in Las Cruces. When I moved to town, he was, you know, everybody knows Pablo, and he knows everybody, and he helps everybody, and he built a lot of the community around, and people before him, too, you know, that taught him to ride. Had a lot of the parts of what makes the Monumental Loop work and be special already kind of here and working, you know what I mean? So Pablo did a lot of that. And then a bunch of other people helped with various parts and still do, you know? Well, that's what it seems like on the periphery, you know, not just you, but you and Pablo have, um, it takes people to spearhead and, and be like the pointy end and kind of get things going. And there's a quote that I like that the world is starved for leaders. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I think, and it's probably tribal, you know, growing up tribal, people are used to following like one, one person. And I think we've kind of made, I mean, I don't know, but that's what smart people say. Yeah. And, sure. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that's it. But I mean, oftentimes it, it takes that. And that's one thing that I think is kind of beautiful and nice about what I see going on out here which is the community working to create something that wasn't here or utilizing what they have yeah yeah i think it was already here like when i came and sort of had the idea to put it together it was because all the parts were already here and ready to go i mean i just kind of sewed it all together and made something out of it but yeah it was already here for sure that's a perfect segue to segueing away from the monumental loop for a second because um in my true fashion, we got to turn the mic on you a little bit. Sure. Um, and then we'll hop back on to the monumental loop. So one thing that you and I have in common is we're both fathers. I'm a single dad and you are a stay at home dad. So you're home with the kids almost all the time and I'm home with them 50% of the time or whatever, but we both are uh, alone with two daughters quite frequently. And we both kind of take them riding and stuff. And I think that there's probably not a lot of parents that are talking about how they're taking their kid. I don't know. I don't see a lot about it. And so I always like to talk to people about their experiences riding with their kids. So what kind of riding do you do with their, your girls and how have they taken to it? They really like it. I started both of them shortly after they were born in a cargo bike, yeah. had a long Dutch cargo bike, uh, and the car seat would bolt in. So when they were a couple months old, they were riding and like feeling what it was like to be on a bike. Yeah. But now we mainly do rides from our house. This ride we started the other day up to the desert where you get into the sand and they can play around up there. It's a mile maybe up the hill. Mm -hmm. And then down through campus is on the other end of us. And same thing. We'll ride three or four or five miles, stopping more than we ride. What kind of setup are your girls on? So your girls are 11 and 6? 
No, eight and six. Eight and six. Okay. Yeah. Oh, mine's eleven. That's yeah. where that's yeah. where the eleven came from. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're just on regular regular bikes. Okay, uh, so they're they're on their own. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. My eight year old has a like a three inch tire, two point eight. You know, kind of like a plus bike, which is amazing that you can get a twenty inch tired plus bike. But. I have uh, my daughter has the exact same thing. She's got the salsa timberjack, I think, yeah. with a twenty inch, two point eight inch tire, and. That's a game changer. I, that's a good good tip, I think, just for parents out there because I got Lila that bike. I actually got her the smaller one too. I can't remember. They make is it? Tw- oh no, it's twenty and twenty four. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. So I have both of the twenty and the twenty four. And uh, starting her on that twenty inch, man, she was just able to roll over all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we ride this trail on La Maria that we rode up last night. I'll bring her out, and she can ride that on it pretty nicely. Yeah, flat and you know huge views, and so. Yeah, man. How do they like the camping experience and stuff? That's their favorite. Uh, we had a trailer and most, a lot of Corona, you know, during the lockdown or whatever, we did a lot of campouts those first few months, especially. And it was the highlight of the whole year, I think. I mean, I'd for I you or only, for them? For both for of both, us. Yeah. yeah, for both. I could only pull one at a time. The trailer only held one. So we'd just take turns, you know, and I'd hook my ECR up with the trailer and we could ride to a place like this, you know, 10 miles out of town have the place to ourselves. Fantastic. They love that. They love yeah, it. it's great, man. If your kids are um, enjoying it, if they're not. Yeah, if they're not, it's not. <laughs> and there are days that they're not, but mostly they, especially the camping, they'll, they want to do that. It's all, not all sunshine and rainbows, is it? No, not for anybody and <laughs> doing anything. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I never like to paint the most idyllic picture because the reality is like, you know, taking kids is, is hard, but, uh, you know, I think, it's like anything else. It's the reward is way, way yeah. outweighs any of the discomforts or unpleasantness. Yeah. And with a bike, I found there's way fewer discomforts. Like I, for myself can pack the bike and pack all the stuff we need to go camping. Like, let's say, especially in the summer, we're going to leave at six o'clock after dinner. So we yeah. have dinner at home and all we need to do is ride, you know, 15 miles to get to public land at the most. And I can pull that trailer pretty fast. They can pedal along. It's one where they can kind of assist. And it takes me an hour and a half or something to pack up. And we get home. I don't have this big truck and coolers and all kinds of garbage to empty. Yeah. It's another, you know, 20 minutes, take some bolts off, put the rack away. I've been thinking about doing, so I have a a four-year-old and 11-year-old. And I got my four-year-old set up on a a pull-behind bike that, you know, hooks onto my seat post. Yeah. And so... You know, I can put gear on her bike, I can put gear on my bike, and carry, like you said, just about everything. And if she doesn't want to pedal, that's fine. She can just sit back there and sing a song and look at the trees or whatever. And you're right, I think I think there's something to that. Like, maybe the mobility of it, you're just, you're experiencing more, so they're more distracted, they're more yeah. in the moment, and they're not as, they're not bored, you know, they're doing something, you know. They're doing, yeah, they're doing something. And but you're they, not driving in a, like, driving... Oh, yeah. 30 minutes to a trailhead, and they're like, this is boring. I, you know, you're having fun from the minute you leave to the minute you get back. And it, I spend way less, like I said, it's just so much easier and more efficient for me to do the, those trips. Even if it's after dinner and they say, hey, Dad, can we go camping tonight? I'm way more likely to say yes because I have that whole setup that I can put together. <laughs> yeah. Like if it was car camping, I'd say no every time. I'm like, no, that's a lot of, you know, then we got to take a stove and we got to do dishes and no, I don't want to do any of that. But Yeah. Well, it's like, I guess if you were into car camping, you would have all that stuff, but that's not as cool. I suppose you would, but it, even if you had all that, one, it, it's pretty costly and you got to have a car. Well, true. And then two, you have to, it takes more time to pack for car camping because you bring more things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So oh, then yeah. you're making pancakes on the griddle, which is fun. 
but I, that's what I do for my job at home. I'm all, you know, I'm always doing that. So when I go out, I want to just relax and that's a valid point. Like, cause I've done a lot of car camping and RV camping and all that kind of stuff. And you bring all the things. And so what you end up doing is spending all your time cooking and cleaning and taking out this gear and putting that gear away. And you got to get the floaty and you got, you know, it's just like, yeah, it, that's all you do. That's You're right. I'd rather just eat a cold Pop-Tart and yeah. not deal with any of that when I'm out here and <laughs> well, then ride and listen to birds. And well, you get to enjoy it. I mean, that's, that's a good point. I mean, whenever you're left with all that stuff, you're more immersed into the, you're just, you're just there. So you find things to do. You go on a nature walk, you go to the visit. Well, you don't have a lake out here, but no, <laughs> I'm picturing Texas where we have <laughs> a lake. Would, a lake would be good. <laughs> Man, that's cool though. I do. I always love to see, uh, parent who are taking their kids outside i think you can agree that you know most kids are starved for like real outdoor experiences and yeah. unstructured play and just yeah really getting into nature instead of just like learning about it in the textbook and i've talked about this before but like my 11 year old daughter knows so much more at 11 about our environment and how our world operates in so many more ways than I ever did at 11 because there's so much more information now. Yeah. But a lot of those kids aren't tying that in with an experiential learning standpoint where they can tie it in. And I found that it's really neat for me. It has been like my 11 year old, she's getting kind of smart now and she knows some stuff about the world. And so when we go camping or whatnot, she's tying in those, you know, bigger picture ideas and say, oh, you know, we shouldn't do that because this. I'm like, oh, that's good. And and we have a conversation. I'm like, well, actually, maybe this is, I can't think of an example right now, but sure. I know, <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had a better memory, but it's just facilitated uh, better conversations. And so, yeah. yeah, it's been good. But I think the missing point is, I mean, we can't just learn about it. We have to go and, and kind of tie those two things together and gain, a, gain like an appreciation for the outdoors. Yeah, it's much harder to hear about climate change. I imagine as a kid, too, if you have no relationship with the earth in any way, when yeah. you don't even see the basic needs that you have being met coming directly from the earth, which is true for all of us, if, you, if you're if you so disconnected. Yeah, then that's true for anyone. What are you going to, how can you make sense of it? You can't. Yeah, absolutely. It's true for anyone, but I think the best chance to get them is when they're young. Oh, yeah. You know, instead of, anyway, yeah, we agree. Yeah. Moving on. We agree. Get them when they're young, With, he says. Get them when they're young. <laughs> Turn them. <laughs> I mean, I'm no, uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it seems like I'm right. No, you are. I'm definitely sure. right. Okay. Let's talk about being tall. Um, I'm 6'2". How tall are you? I'm 6'5". Six 6'5". Five. Six five. Sometimes it's, I say 5'17", to be more <laughs> relatable. That that does put it in better perspective, yeah, right? it does. I'm yeah, five seventeen. Exactly. Five seventeen. You know, like the difference between six two and six five is three inches. It doesn't seem like a lot. I've never had a problem finding bikes, but I know that through talking to you, that it's been a challenge for you. So what, like, what happens between six two and six three? Uh, companies stop making bikes. I think above six three. I mean, some do, you know, and you can make it fit. But yeah, if I'm searching for a new bike, the first step is which companies have bikes that fit me, and there are some that just don't. Or, you know, does that model come in a, in a size that fits me? You look at the extra large and it's too small. Okay. So so the XLs are just going like right up to... Like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, it seems like. And then if yeah. you're bigger than that, you can, like I said, I have a stem that goes straight up into the air to make my bike, t you know, the handlebars higher. But it's not that convenient. 
It doesn't well, it, look it looks cool. cool. It doesn't look cool, you know? So it looks like I'm an old man out there riding around. But. So what are your options then? I mean, we talk a lot about it on the podcast about short of stature people and being able to fit all the gear on and stuff like that. But yeah. I really, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of tall, but like I never had run into this problem until I was talking to you. I'm like, I never really thought about like taller people trying to get fit on a bike. So you've been tall for a while. What do you recommend to people that are trying to find a bike? Probably specifically to do, you know, bike packing. The good part is you do have a much bigger frame triangle. I have my frame bags are massive. So if I can find a bike that fits me, and I have been able to, you can always find something. Yeah, you're gonna have more space. You're not you're not gonna have tire clearance issues with the seat bag or the handlebar bag. So you can carry massive amounts of stuff. So what are your options? It's either stem and handlebars and a setback seat post or a custom frame? I mean, what are you... Yeah, no, I mean, I think with stem and handlebars, you can get it done. I've got bikes that are comfortable for long rides now. Bike Insights, I don't know if you know that website. Yeah, yeah looking on there I, uh, seems Hobo to be Cross. helpful. Yeah, stack and reach stuff. I compare bikes on there and see which ones, compared to the ones I have now that I like. And you can find bikes. Surly has several that are big enough. Kona probably does too. Yeah. Just more challenging. Yeah, it's just you have to make some compromises, I think. So do you want to talk about your Monet? I always want to. Okay, let's first is it money or Monet? It's money. Yeah. It is money. It's definitely I, money. Okay, let's get this straight. So Shell Monet is Shell Money. No, it's just Shell Money. Both. Yeah, yeah no Monet. Yeah, no Monet. That's you, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's you're I think right. I think everybody thought if you just read it, I think people think it's Monet. I think so, but Shell Money. I want to set the stri- record straight. Yeah, no. Yeah, so I don't have any, like, specific things. I'm just thinking about the bike all the time. Um, it's not coming until Well, tell, fall. I mean, some people may not be familiar with it, but he, he's got a pretty cool operation, and maybe maybe you tell a little bit about him and why you chose to have him build you a bike. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know that much about him other than he's ridden the Tour Divide on a single speed several times, and, you know... He came over and did an overnighter with us, and he's hilarious. Doesn't he uh, build all of them out of a, a school bus? Yeah, or a bread truck or something over in Silver City, so it's pretty close. I've got a dirt route from Silver City to here, so I can go over and pick up the bike and ride it home. Uh, and his bikes are really beautiful, like hand-brazed with brass and steel and, you know, have some art to them. Yeah, they are, like, beautiful yeah. pieces. For sure. And I've never had a bike like that. I've just ridden Surleys with big high-rise stems and bars and I'm like i'm gonna get a bike that fits me what about uh you think about doing rim brakes on there yeah i keep thinking about it and i don't know if it's a good idea it seemed the main issue is you can't buy too many rims why do rim brake rims don't exist anymore and they're probably getting like more sparse and more sparse as time goes on i can't believe they're gonna make a comeback <laughs> 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 like if i buy the bike and then rim brakes come back Sweet. That's amazing. But I don't really, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. We're in like, uh, the global bike inventory for parts and everything is like way down. So manufacturing is ramped up to try to fill, yeah. to get caught back up. And I have to think that rim brakes aren't going to be like the first <laughs> thing on their assembly line. Like guys, we've got huge orders for rim brakes out here. Yeah. We've got to go, go, go. Not just rim brakes, but wide tubeless ready. Yeah. <laughs> rim brakes that's not very popular probably yeah but i do think it's a good bike for here or like big. that's bend. what i wanted to ask is yeah why, or why? big bend area yeah. it's dry so we're in the mountains kind of now or we're looking at the mountains but the whole area is what's called basin and range so you have a range of mountains and then a big 
sort of flat drainage basin, you know, where the water collects and the rivers run. And then you have another mountain range. So we can see 13 mountain ranges and a couple big basins from where we're sitting. So you're on these flats for a long ways and you're not breaking at all for 30 miles across the flat. And then you hit a little mountain range and you need the brakes a little here and there, but not that much. And it's always dry. So rim brakes just really work really well. Do you have a bike with rim brakes? I do, yeah. Oh, you have I your have a cross check. Your cross check, yeah. and it works fantastically. So right? you actually have tested this theory out. Yeah, I've been riding that bike for about four years. It's got forty-four millimeter tires, seven hundred by forty-four, and I can ride it most of the places on the new Monumental Loop, the new version, and sort of some of the other big routes we have around here. All right. But I think something with two point twos. What's that Fleecer Ridge that Fleecer Leo Ridge, worked on? Yeah. Get those and rim brakes and two point twos. And man, that would be a great bike for Southern New Mexico. Well, I'll be interested to see what you decide. I think I kind of want you to get the rim brakes because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the uh, the parts issue is like, man, you're gonna spend all that money to get it built up and get the rim brakes and everything. And then I think finding the rims is going to be a pain in the ass going forward. It might be. There are a couple of companies I think that are going to keep making them for a while. Um, just stock up. Yeah. Velocity makes a few. And there's those Paul rim brakes. I've always wanted Paul rim brakes. And made in the USA, I kind of want a bunch of USA-made parts on this bike. Yeah, I'm, I have a new bike getting built, too, that's super top secret. All USA, though, I can say. Rim brake, I assume. 100% <laughs> rim brake. I mean, I if, it's, why. if it's not too late to change your mind, I'd change to rim brakes. Well, if you, I brought up rim brakes because I was going to convince you to come to rim brakes, but you're already here, so I'm I didn't here. have to do that. I'm ready. No, I'm ready. So tell me about the riding scene here in Las Cruces. You've been here 12 years. How is it now? What's it been like? I don't know. What, give me the deets. The stories I always hear of like what it was before, and I, I've still seen evidence of this, it's a super tight-knit community of people that support each other and genuinely care about each other. And it's always kind of been that. It's taken different forms on where people ride and who exactly they're riding with. But that's kind of the core of it, that it's a real tight-knit community. How's the bikepacking community here? Like, you have all this public land. How much public land do you all have around here? Do you know? Uh, like a half a million acres. The monument itself, along with another small monument on the other side of town, is right at a half a million. Yeah. So you have a shit ton of public land. It's situated, for perspective, we rode from your house, and within minutes, literally minutes, we were on the trail. Yeah. Um, and you can do that in every direction. Every direction. From town. Yeah. So you're just surrounded. So I'm just, I'm wondering, like, is the community taking advantage of all this public land? Yes. More, yeah, more and more they are. Yeah. They are. That's awesome. So I, let's get into the monumental loop. I think it's worth mentioning that the Monumental Loop is on National Monument land. Is that what it's called? How do you say that? Yeah, no, that's how you'd say it. There's four units of the monument, like four distinct areas surrounding town. So if a town is in the center, and each corner of that square is a piece of the monument. For my benefit and maybe other people listening, like, Tell me a little bit about like what a national monument, what is it? National monument wilderness area, national monument? Well, they're both now. Um, wilderness area and a monument are different, but national monument's a lot like a national park. Um, it's managed a little differently. It's a slightly different legal, you know, designation. Uh, and now there are 10 wilderness areas within that monument. So of the 500,000 acres of national monument, 300,000, let's say, something close to that, are now wilderness area also. So they have like two designations. 
Do you know like what it is about this that made it a national monument? Yeah, it was a combination of like the archaeological sites, World War II, like all this historical stuff, and then just sort of the nature geology. Geology. <laughs> geology. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say geologic formations. Yeah. Uh, then you're like, no, I'm not that smart. I'll just go with geology. I'll just go with geology. Rocks. We have yeah, rocks. Yeah, so there are rocks, and there are also plants, <laughs> and there are animals. And so. animals. <laughs> and all of those things in combination create quite a scene, so... They wanted to protect it. So that happened in 2014, and I assume you were responsible for bringing that to the Senate and the House to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had nothing to do with it. There were a bunch of local people that got together and just said, we want this to happen. But the idea for the loop came about before the monument, before there was even a monument. It was They were debating wilderness designation in like 2009, not talking about a monument, just the wilderness designation. And I had never seen those wilderness areas and I thought well I'm going to go hike because I was a hiker at the time and connect all those places they're talking about in a big hike that was really hard because there wasn't any water and it was just like you're walking across these basins for 30 miles in the heat and I gave up on it uh, until right after 2014 I got into the biking community and then it was a monument and then it you know it all kind of just worked together but oh interesting so in in 2014 you were you just got into bikepacking or you got into cycling as a way to like explore this territory? Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I'd always been a cyclist, but okay. so I had this idea as a hiker and the idea kind of just faded away because it didn't seem practical to hike it. Um, and then lack of water? Lack of water, long distances on kind of flat, boring roads. That's not the kind of hiking I, I wanted to do. Okay, yeah. People have since hiked it now, which is amazing, or run, you know. They, but I didn't want to do that. And then in like 2013, Plus tires came out, you know, like the ECR came out, which is a great bike for loading up with water and just riding out wherever, sandy, rocky, which is what we have. So it kind of, those plus tires sort of opened up the idea of riding into these places hmm. where even locals had done some of it, but they didn't, it wasn't a regular thing, you know, but now everybody's got big tires and we're just riding the whole monument all of a sudden. So the National Monument designation wasn't really the thing that made this land accessible by bike. It was big tires. It was big tires, for sure. Oh, man. that Yeah, in my mind, I was just thinking it became a national monument, and, you know, it got more attraction or whatever. Yeah. And people were like, ooh, what do we have here? And started exploring it more. But it was really just having the right gear. Having, yeah, exactly. And then, But it all came together nicely, sort of at the same time. Yeah, it's know? interesting. It worked pretty well. So when was the Monumental Loop established? We posted it on bikepacking.com in like 2016 or early 2017 or something. So how did that go down? How did you create the route and why? Well, I guess the why was that originally back to 2009 when I'm like, I want to know these lands that they're talking. It was a big debate. Like a lot of people were against the wilderness at that time. Which part were they against? Uh, I think they just had, you know, some concerns that they were going to be locked out of their land was sort of their quote, and they uh, weren't going to be able to access it. They'd hunted there, they ranched there, whatever they'd done there, they thought, well, we're not going to be able to do that. More restrictive. Yeah, which it turned out not to be true, especially with the monument, as, you know, but that was sort of the story they were being told. Like, right. you're not going to be able to use the land. And people don't want to hear that, so they there was a fairly lively debate. Yeah. And I thought, well, I need to know these lands if I'm going to participate in the debate. And, like, I should be knowledgeable about what's out there so I can say, hey, this is what I think because I've been out there. 
at least, you know. So I tried to do that hike, and it just didn't work out. I did end up visiting a lot of the places that later became the route, but... Yeah. I'm trying to piece it all together. Like, you were out here exploring the land because there was this debate going on and how it should be designated. Yeah. And you purely wanted to just have an educated voice in that discussion. Yeah, and what? And that's it. I mean, that's it, basically. And I also, in my experiences hiking... I've come to believe that if you put a long trail somewhere... If you build it, they will come? I mean, kind of, but I think people, will, if they have a way to get out there and experience it themselves, then that is the argument that you need to convince them that they can protect the land, you know what I mean? And they can be an active... Like, if they know the land, you've got a good steward right there. Anybody that comes out and does it, I'm not sure what the question was exactly. What is your continued motivation for creating the route? Is it is it to protect the lands, get people out here? I mean, both of those. I mean, encouraging people to come out here and use the land in a sustainable way. Yeah, that I think is more accessible than car camping. Even like bikes are expensive. That's true, but not as expensive as cars. Yeah, or trucks to drive. To, like some of these places, you need a four wheel drive. Super expensive. So yeah, to get people out, partly, partly for me to just like fulfill my own need for some adventure. You know what I mean? Like, I've always done these long trails, and that's been a meaningful experience in my life. And now I can't as readily because I have the girls and I've got to stay home. So to sort of be a part of the adventure community, you know, on the other side. Yeah. Would Passion Project be a fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do think so. Like the Colorado Trail, for example, when I hiked it, obviously the mountains and all that were amazing. But seeing the people and going into the little towns along the way... And getting like that trail magic, they call it, from people. That's yeah. what sort of makes the trip special. So I want people to now have a place to come and do that here, basically so I can, you know, reciprocate that trail magic that I've been getting for many years. Yeah. And still sort of like, not live vicariously through them, but sort of, you know, get to experience their adventures. And I can tell, man, from how much effort you put into it, but also just riding with you and hearing you talk about it, it seems like you really love this place. I mean, you've put a lot of yourself into it, and it and it shows. Yeah, I mean, at one point, we I described the route. This was the old route, but the new one better fits this description as a love letter to Doniana County, which is sort of the, the county that Las Cruces is in, and basically the outline of the route. I like state. that. That's yeah. very beautiful. A love letter to what county? Doniana County. Doniana County. And everybody hated it. <laughs> they read the love letter, and they're like... F you met Mason, you know, for the first five years. But the new route is much softer and people like it. Well, that's a good segue. Let's uh is it worth talking about the old route and the distinction between the two? I or, think so. Okay, well, yeah, let's do that then. I think so because it was a you know, learning experience for me and yeah. I still think the old route is has some value, you know. Well, I haven't ridden either one of them in entirety, so you'll just have to The know. old one is much more difficult, much more backcountry. How many miles? 350. Oh, okay. And it tries to stay in the dirt, like, at all costs. And on the faintest, most beautiful trail, beauty, like, this backcountry beauty and taking you to all the places was, like, the design goal. You know, like, if I had a goal, what do I want to do? I want to show them every corner of the monument, all the cool stuff in one ride. What are some cool things? There's a lot of archaeological sites, I think, that are really awesome. And then there's, you know, canyons and mountains and... Yeah, the... uh... Oregon. Oregon? Oregon, yeah. Oregon. Uh, yeah, O-R-G-A-N. This mountain range is quite beautiful. It's fantastic. I don't think yeah. we gave it enough praise, but I'm not, 
I don't know how to describe rocks too well, but uh, craggy and rocky and jaggy and yeah, a bunch of granite sticking up, sort of vaguely reminiscent of the Tetons. If you've seen the Tetons, they sort of look like that, but with big granite. They are beautiful. So obviously, the lots of views of the Oregon Mountains. Yeah, and they're the one range really that is more of a backdrop. Uh, you don't really ride through them on the route. Yeah, you can. It's wilderness, and then missile range on the other side, so you can't. <laughs> You can't go too far into the mountains. I did want to bring up the missile <laughs> range. So, you know, we're sitting here in the, what, you said something last night. It was funny. You're like, here's the rule or here's the deal. You can't put orange pills right here, but over there you can nuke the shit out of the mountain. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. That, and that's exactly what happens. I mean, we're on the national monument and the border, the next border over, maybe a mile up is Oregon mountain wilderness. And then a mile beyond that or so, a couple miles maybe, is White Sands Missile Range where they're testing missiles, I mean, and shooting Abrams tanks up into the mountains. Yeah, and last night you had them out there doing some missile drills and we got to see some of the fireworks. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. It's super wild. It's not what you expect. I mean, I know there's a town there. You know, we got a nice little mountain. I don't know. What is it? A hill almost? Yeah, just a little hill. A little hill. Um, in Texas, everything looks like a mountain. You know, you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, there's a town over there, so I know we're not that far away from civilization. That's kind of one of the appeals of this route is the accessibility. But then on the other side of there, you have where you said they tested the first atomic bomb. Atomic bomb, yeah. Like not maybe, I don't know, 80 miles north of here in a straight line, 60 miles. Yeah. People in Las Cruces saw the flash and like heard the bang from the bomb. It's wild. And didn't know what it was, obviously, because no one had told him. It's such a dichotomy of two worlds, like, in this one place. I mean, it's, I, it is what it is. I don't know if it's cool or it, it, well, unique. It's unique. It's unique. It's unique. Yeah. It's, it's a kind unique of a bummer. to this area. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort like, of a bummer when you're trying to go into the mountains and you get to a point that says, you know, White Sands Missile Range, <laughs> and then you find weird metal objects, you know, Yeah, up that's there the part where I'm just like, ah, eh, but, yeah. yeah, it's not... Nothing you're going to do, anybody's going to do to stop them from doing what they're doing over there. So I don't think I can stop them. I don't think so. So we're talking about some of the sights and sounds, so to speak, along the route, and then the distinction. So is there anything else about on the route that's like something that stands out to you that you really like or... Uh, this is how hard it is, is really what sticks out and how, (laughs) you know what I mean? How people just came down, even after we moved the rating from whatever it was to nine people still expected it to be easier and just kind of got kind of got their butts kicked a lot were these people doing the full thing yeah yeah most of them tried to but many many people didn't accomplish their goals on the original route they'd come out and say i'm going to ride the northern loop in three days and the southern in three and they'd spend five on the north and just go home i mean what why were you surprised by that i i was uh partly i guess i was at first um I'd ridden the Colorado Trail, and then, you know, that winter we came up with this one, and this seemed far easier to me. Um, Maybe because I had big tires and I was used to the desert, but it seemed much easier. So the original rating was much lower because the Colorado Trail, I think, is a 9. So I thought, this is easier. Yeah. It's not easier for most people. Do you know what it, I mean, you've probably gotten feedback and you've, yeah. or you've heard the cries and the woes and the tears. Like, I heard a lot of them. I heard a lot, and it, rightfully so. I should have, I know? think you take some kind of uh, honor and a little pride in, in some of them. For I, a minute I did. I, I, yeah, think it's, I think that was a mistake. It's probably better just to hear what they're saying. Before the old route, I think, suited 10% of bikepackers. Yeah. Like if you're training for the Arizona Trail or you're, 
you're kind of shooting for FKTs and stuff like that, then maybe the old route is what you want. But 90% of the people are going to struggle out there. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I want to see if I can make it the other way. Well, and that you can always have two options, which you'd still do, I'm sure. The old loop is available, and anyone can go ride if they want to. They can. The cool part is now, though, uh, we don't have to, like, work. There were some access issues that we were working on, and everything was fine. But to, like, get it to be designated as a route was going to be much more difficult. And we kind of want to get signage and get some sort of designation for the route so it stays part of the monument and stays... You know, so it itself is protected because there are parts where it's not in the monument and I'd like to protect and sign those pieces. So the old route had some, made that more difficult. Okay. So now I don't have to work on some so of that stuff, just abandon it. It made your life easier. You don't hear the cries and yeah. the complaints and working towards your goal of, of designating the trail becomes a little bit more accessible. For sure. Practical. Yeah. It's more, ri- cool. it's more rideable yeah. and it's easier to, to meet the goals that we're trying to, trying to meet. Can you talk a little bit more about your shift in perspective? Because, I mean, you know, this first time I'm meeting you, but I know just from social media, you know, you took a little bit of pride in how difficult it was and the amount of sand and rock and, and all that. And I think you chuckled a little bit when people, I don't, I don't want to say you were like that, but you know, I mean, I think what you were doing is, is in a funny way trying to let people know that this, it's hard out here and to yes. kind of come prepared. You That's know? exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't ever trying to, like, belittle anybody I, here. I put it wrong. But no, yeah. no, I know what you mean. But I probably came across that way to some people sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I was trying to let people know, oh, man, it's really hard. Yeah. It's harder than you think. Like, you look at the elevation profile, and I think some people were fooled by that. And they thought, well, there's not very much climbing. This should be fast. And there's almost none of it that's fast. We were talking about that last night. You know, this terrain is very similar to Big Bend in a lot of ways. Like, the riding you're doing is very similar. And it's, it's so deceptive out here how it beats you up. And I think I said it's like a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. You know, it just, um, it's hard to pinpoint, and maybe you can articulate better living here, but it's been hard for me to pinpoint exactly what it is. But it's just like, you know, it's either, it's bumpy, it's sandy, the sun's beating down on you, you're very exposed. I mean, it just, it feels like you're just getting slowly chipped away at all day long yeah i think it's that's exactly right it's all that stuff i mean yeah the roads are very bumpy so some people think oh that section's a road it'll be easy but it's sometimes way <laughs> harder than single track yeah it's, it's funny out, out here i got a kick out of the fact that like your some of your residential roads are like gravel roads and they're not great like i'm like if those are the roads that y'all are like maintaining for people to drive on yeah and you get off of those onto the trail. Yeah, I imagine it's going to get pretty rugged. And there are some out in the monument that basically receive no maintenance at all. I mean, yeah. you know, great. They get graded once every few years, and yeah, that's what I'd expect. They're yeah. just just rock sometimes. Yeah. Well, so most people listening are going to be happy about the change. Probably it sounds like ninety percent of the people are going to be. That's happy. what I think. It's now a ninety ten. Ninety percent of the people that come <laughs> are going to love it. But for the ten percent, oh, unless they're doing the race and they want to. Yeah. 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 I think even if we have the Danger Bird this year, which is sort of the group start event on the Monumental Loop, it'll be on the new route. Yeah. And then if anybody else wants to go big and do the old route, that's that's still fun. But I was just thinking, I guess you could just have a category of people. And if three people sign up to do the original route, then... Yeah, I don't want to tell anybody no, and I yeah. still want somebody really fast to come down and, you know, see what they can do. Any any names come to mind? I mean, you know, the basics, but <laughs> if I think 48 hours or, like, under, you know, anybody that is into long-distance racing would be 
Yeah, It'd call, be fun to watch. Calling all fast people. Yeah. Matt and I not included. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. I tried, tried to do 22 24-hour laps. It was 350 miles north and south split up into two loops and i did the southern loop in 20 hours and i was just absolutely gone i was done mm. i mean i couldn't have ridden another 10 miles probably how many miles is the southern loop it was 180 at the time yeah that's a it was a lot and that's I, that's a that's a big effort and then i'm like okay i'm done pretending that i'm a racer i'm going home <laughs> i was I, a racer for 20 hours <laughs> yeah. yeah and then i, had I don't to, race past 20 <laughs> yeah and then i had to stop at my house and then regroup and go back out and i never went back out but <laughs> yeah, the new a, yeah the new route i think is also a pretty fun race thing too because now it's 250 but i think you could you know do it in 24 hours Cool. It's much faster. Yeah, so let's talk about, you're calling it Monumental Loop 2.0 or yeah. 2 or what, what is it? Yeah, yeah. Two, I mean, it's basically going to be Monumental Loop. That's what I was going to ask. This like, is like a transitional period. Okay, so it's it's a way to indicate to people that it's new yeah. and then in time it'll just be the Monumental Loop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So obviously we know it's easier and it's shorter. What else is, uh, oh, I know, and I know you said more burritos now. Yes, So that's, exactly. that's important. No, that is important. That actually is very important because of the third reason. So I did it so more people would like it and enjoy themselves. You know, I got tired of watching people just like cry on their Instagram videos. <laughs> I'm like, that woman is crying. Something has to be Aww, done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this happens too much. Uh, so more people will like it. And it makes it easier for us to do the signing and sort of that designation process, I believe. And then the third reason was it's like an economic development thing. So now instead of being on these faint trails going around small towns, it's dropping down into the valley and visiting places where there's some new businesses, both in Radium Springs and Doniana. There's new restaurants and breweries and yeah. hot springs. And I'm like, I want to help those businesses succeed or use the route as a tool yeah i agree e economic development tool economic <laughs> development wow yeah have you been practicing that one i have yeah <laughs> i think that is cool i think it does a couple of things right so we're talking about how hard it is being able to like dip into town and, and get a burger and like see people and air conditioner or whatever you know have a little a little break to get your shit together and uh, and get mentally ready to come back out here and, and keep going. And plus, I love some supporting little communities, you know. I mean, I built the restaurant tour and identified a couple, like, restaurants to feature and say, yeah, like, let's go support these, you know. Yeah. Or, I don't know. It makes you feel good, you know. I mean, these guys, these businesses out there. And, and I also think it's cool, like, I like to go to those businesses and say, hey, just so you know, I created this route and you might see cyclists coming and they're going to be hungry or whatever. And yeah. try to come in and be like, hey, we got this great route and let them know that hopefully, you know, uh, it's going to be a, a good thing for their business and let them know that bikers are their cyclists are their friends. Yeah. And I think, I think it will work, you know, I think it'll work here. And I think, I think business owners, especially in a small town with a fantastic restaurant, how would it not work out? You know, cyclists are going to go there. They're, they're going to love it. The <laughs> restaurant's going to notice, you know, maybe yeah. put a bike rack out front, whatever it is. But, yeah, bike rack. I love it. I mean, I, I guess I've seen little towns uh, when I've hiked other long places or done other bike rides and where the town really embraces it, it brings like a whole new life back to town. I mean, you know, the Tour Divide is an excellent example. Um, I mean, obviously it's original, so it's been around a long time and the communities have had a chance to get behind it, but it is an excellent example of how a route can bring economic development. Econo yeah, sustainable. Even. Sustainable <laughs> economic development <laughs> to a region. Yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly, a region like, like this. Like like this particular region. <laughs> yeah, we do have really good food, too. So when you're stopping at these restaurants, it's not like you're just getting, you know, it's like, okay, it's fantastic food here. Yeah, man, you got me a gas station burrito, and it was even good. Yeah. Even the gas station burritos are good around here. <laughs> they are, that's right. I'm moving. I do like New Mexico, honestly. It's, it's pretty freaking legit here. It's nice. And there's nobody, I mean, even now with the route being a, appealing to 90% of the riders, and people came right away. They saw the new route, and they... Like, it was within a week, people were like, oh, I'm going to go do it now. Even a couple of local people who had never really done it are like, oh, I like this. I'm going to try it, which makes my day when local people do it. Well, you want the local community to support it, I would think, and get behind it. Yeah. Because if the locals aren't, then... Yeah, you got nothing. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like you'd want them to... <laughs> yeah, and only two... Like, like, you show up and, like, all the locals are like, ah, I wouldn't ride that. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> That's exactly what happens. <laughs> only two people had finished as like a through ride, had finished the old route. Two wow. local people, and probably 20 from Alaska have, you know? And I'm wow. like, well, that's not a good... And a lot of local people, like Phil, that we're riding with today, when they do ride it, the old route, they take big shortcuts because they made sense. If you're a local person, you're like, I know I don't need to go that really hard way. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, the locals were all just cursing your name. And now, yeah, they were. And now they're like, well, this makes way more sense. And they can go out with their friends, and there's a high school like outdoor club i'm like they oh. it's within reach for them now yeah or the yeah. call college probably college, has something yeah. too so what has the feedback been like how long has the route the new route been developed i know it hasn't been too long yeah but maybe less than a month it was somewhere oh that's in it early huh? march when i wow yeah it's it real there. recent so have you had much feedback quite a bit and everybody's loving it they're like i love it down here the food's awesome thanks that's it. You, <laughs> you fixed know? it. Yeah, Problem solved. Yeah, it took you five years to figure out what everybody <laughs> wanted, and you did it. Yeah. People well, wanted food and mellow writing. On my interview I did with Miles, we talked about, you know, route building and, and also, like, putting a route out for the public, you know, and because I've developed this route, and I'm just like, all right, well, great, now what, you know? And so there's a learning curve, and what we decided for my route is to just make it a free event and allow people to come out and, and get that feedback. Um, see, I'm not going to be stubborn like you, Matt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to listen to the people right off the bat. And I mean, Texas is just different. Like we don't have a bunch of public land. So, you know, what I'm looking for is the, it's like gravel or pavement. Those are the yeah. options, you know, yeah. that's it. So, you know, if someone rides around and they're like, dude, you missed like a 10 mile section of gravel over here. I'm like, oh shit. All right. We're taking that. That's basically all we're looking for. Or yeah, that's, that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a camp spot or something I don't know about, but. Yeah, that's about all there is here or in Texas. What about bikes? What kind of bike do you think? I is... like them. I like <laughs> I like bikes, too. I like them. Do you like bikes or do you like death? I'm going to go with bikes. Yeah, good choice. Choose bikes, people, every time. <laughs> but no, yeah, what kind of bike do you think is well-suited for out here and tire and, and stuff? For most people, the 90%, Matt? Yeah, I think you want to run a 2.4 or 2.6 on the new route you don't really need much suspension but if you have front suspension that's not going to hurt you and you're on single speed yeah i think that's good <laughs> <laughs> it works pretty well here yeah you're on a i mean everybody always likes to know but i think you said you're 3420 3420 yeah. yeah but you got you've been doing your thigh masters so i don't know you, other people might want a 3220 i can't I think for the route, uh, like a third, yeah, whatever, like 50 gear inches, whatever that works out to, if you're a nerd. 32.18, 32.19, somewhere in there. 34.21. 
So, you know, you were talking about the elevation isn't too dramatic. So you, you could, if someone was on single speed, it's, it's definitely doable. Yeah, because the two big climbs on the northern loop, even with a geared bike, you're going to struggle to ride them. They're rocky. They're pretty hard. So you're going to walk anyway. Pushing a single speed's easier than pushing a geared bike, I suppose. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> less to break. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you know, you, you got a lot of sand and rocks that could uh, break a derailleur. Well, the sand won't break it, but the sand will get in your in your gears and the rocks will break the derailleur yeah. off. So. And I think kind of getting off and walking is one of the nice parts about bikepacking. Well, that's the hiker in you coming out. No, I mean, I really do think it's like a critical component of a good bikepacking trip. How so? I don't know. All the good ones have it. So. <laughs> <laughs> all the best rides and all the best. But I think, it, it, one, it gives your body a little bit of a break. Right. It gives your mind a little break. Because everybody says, oh, you see so much more when you're on a bike versus a car. And that's true. But I think it's the same gap yeah. in missing stuff when you slow down to hiking. You see w way more. So it kind of just puts you in a different mindset, I think. Reminds you why you're out there. You're not out there to, like hammer and go real fast and race you know you're out there to experience nature and that no better way to do it than walking really hey i love slow yeah me too i don't like to go above six miles an hour that's that's a good average if you're going six you're doing pretty good yeah you're 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 cooking what's next for you like what are you working on you've you've recreated the route to be more accessible more enjoyable better just all the way around so what are your goals now? I'm going to start producing rim brakes. <laughs> uh, You've identified a need in the I'm market. I'm going to take over the world with rim brake rim. No, uh, I don't know what's next. I mean, it's still the, the same goal that Pablo and I identified before. We want to get signage yeah. on the route. Because then you, if it's signed and it's finalized and everyone agrees to, hey, this is where it should be, uh, then you can produce maps and guidebooks and host tours and just do more things if everybody has signed off on it. I'm curious. I mean, other people listening may have similar trails that they might want to, like, how do you, how do you do, I'm not, I don't no, know how to do that's that. that's a great question. I don't know how to do that either. And we're working, we have, you know, we got some support from different government agencies and different levels of government, which has been helpful. The main thing is you have to get every landowner to agree to it on their land. So obviously the bulk of it is BLM land, like 80%, 85%. But it also goes through these small towns on state roads, county roads, highways. And it goes through a part of New Mexico State ranch. They have a ranch north of town where they do research. And part of it goes through there. And the Trail Alliance, the Southern New Mexico Trail Alliance, is sort of working with NMSU to try to get official access. Right now, it's sort of, I think they know people use it, but there's nothing in writing saying we can. So I can't promote the route and make a map to the fullest extent, I don't think, until that's acceptable. You know what I mean? Or until it's nailed down, like, in writing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can do this. And right now, they're kind of saying, well, we don't care if you do it, you know? We don't want to talk about it that much. <laughs> so does the land access and permission come first and then you can like go to the government or do you go to the government and kind of get them to? Yeah, I think, I think most people, if they would have had this project, they'd have said, hey, what we're going to do first before we send people out to write it is we're going to have all these meetings and all this stuff until it's all in writing. And I thought, well, if you do that, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. It'll never happen. So I thought, well, let's just make the route and ride where we know that it's okay, no one's going to get in trouble. If you come ride the route, no one's going to yell at you. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And is that because you've personally gone and talked to all the landowners? No, I mean, there really aren't any private landowners. You're always on a county road or a designated trail or something like that. So who are we getting the permission from to have the land access? I thought you were saying that was Not one of the- access, but to have the trail there officially and permanently. I mean, we can access it now, but like on the NMSU ranch, there's a sign that says private property or no trespassing or something. Okay. But NMSU knows people ride there and they're okay with it. They don't come out and stop people. They're not ticketing people. And we're staying, we're very clear asking people when you go through that section, stay on the road, you know, don't touch anything. It seems like you're probably going about it the right way in creating it, showing the value in having something like this. Yeah. You know, if you build it, they would come and you, you build something and, and cyclists come from all over, you know, you hold the danger bird and I don't know how many people show up, but it grows and grows and you got the restaurants that are benefiting and the townspeople are like, wow, we got economic something coming. <laughs> we got money coming yeah. in. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's big for a lot of communities. Las Cruces isn't a huge town, is it? No, it's not. No. And, and that was exactly my plan. I'm like, I'm going to demonstrate. And I think we have that the loop is necessary and needed. Local people love yeah. it. It brings in tourism. And it's already succeeding at a certain level, as high as we can take it right now, I think. 100%. So I'm like, we've kind of shown everybody that needed to see, like, this does work. Because yeah. bikepacking isn't a thing in New Mexico. It wasn't you're essentially like a, a cheerleader. You're a cheerleader for this route, and you're just going around and yeah. hyping it up. Stewards of shred, we call ourselves. Stewards mean, of shred. Like we don't that. really shred that hard, but pretty rad term. Trying to fit in. I, I just think it sounded cool. <laughs> cheerleader. Cheerleader's fine, too. I'll, I like stewards of, steward of shred. I'll take, I'll take either one. But yeah, no, and I kind of think every route... Like if every route had one, like a not maybe a cheerleader, but at least like a some caretaker. Like if you post a route on bikepacking.com, to me, then you have to do all the follow-up. You have to listen to the feedback. And I listened to it. I didn't change. <laughs> I changed some things, but I yeah. didn't respond immediately. But Well, you were intentional for putting it there. It wasn't... It, yeah. it's not, it wasn't by an accident. So right. it was a principled decision. You're like, no, this is part of the route. Yeah. It's part of the character and what I wanted people to experience. Yeah. So no, I'm not... I'm not going to take that away, but yeah, you change. Yeah. You're, everybody's allowed to change your mind, right? <laughs> they are, yeah. No, but I think when a route has something like that, it can just turn into this, you know, without that much work. Like, again, I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of work. I've gotten to a couple of really boring meetings, you know, that are just almost beyond my capabilities. <laughs> well, I, you advocate for it online, and you I know you've been interviewed by bikepacking.com, and, you know, you have me out here to come and chat with you, and so... There's definitely some smoke. I know you're talking to the governments and stuff, and what else can you do? I mean, you, you just have to work at it. And I think the big work you did was all the effort in, like, scouting it out. I mean, that's that's really the hard part. Yeah. And that's what I found, too, is, I mean, I put in all this work, like, putting this route together and checking out every spot and looking at, you know, just pouring over everything, you know, trying to, like, put together something that's cool, you know, and that works and goes and everything. That part was super fun, too. Though. Oh, but it's fun. I mean, yeah, because fun most work. of it here, we did, like, group rides, you know, when we could do group rides. we'd I'd say, hey, let's go check out this mountain. And we'd do 70 miles in a day and check out a big chunk. And those Scouting. Were, yeah, it was just a series of really fun day rides. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, works might be not the right word, but. I, I mean, it is in a certain effort? sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I was putting forth Too early considera- in the morning. Consideration. And consideration. Intent, Give it, intent. Intent. Yeah, giving it my attention. There you go. Tell me about the danger bird. I always envisioned it as like the hard long bikepacking race. I kind of wanted to get into bikepacking racing. It seemed like a good idea to just have an event 
associated with the route. And I don't know how many people have come. The first year, it was like three or four locals. Maybe seven started, but within 20 miles, they were down to th- three of us. When was the first year? 2017, I think. 2018, maybe. So, yeah, maybe maybe 17, 2017. So you said you were interested in getting into bike pack racing. Yeah. I'm less interested now. <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's. Uh, I mean, maybe I just don't have the time to commit to it right now. Yeah. That's probably more. Yeah. Everything has a time and a season, so. Yeah. And it just requires, like... I start thinking about watts and grams and wearing a tighter shirt. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah, I don't want to do any of that. You know, I'm going to wear flat pedals. I'm going to have a floppy shirt, a heavy a heavy bike. I personally like going slow for the most part, but I certainly appreciate and enjoy watching people tear up a route. And it's, yeah. it's always fun to see who can go fast and how they did it. You know, it's always always fun. Oh, no, I like watching. Like, they just did an Arizona Trail 300. A couple guys broke some records. Yeah, her, your, your boy. Yeah. Well, not What's his boy, name? Timon, the guy from Albuquerque. Timon, T-I-M-O-N. Yeah, it took down Kurt Refsnyder's FKT by, you said, seven hours? I don't really know. Okay, time. well, we I don't, don't want to. Yeah, I don't All right, remember. we won't put out a number. Well, all right, so the Danger Bird started in 2017. few people showed up. Then you had 18. Ni- in 18, we had the first people finish. Three people finished, which okay. was amazing. Nine, 17, nobody got even close. And it's a free event or pay? Free, oh, yeah, totally free. What do you provide? You just show up? Here's yeah, normally route. nothing. Yeah, uh, in 2019 we gave out we gave away bandanas. Nice. Um, they were pretty rad. How many people finished in 2019? I don't know. Maybe four. Wow. But there were more that started, and some did. Some went out with the intention to do one of the two loops. They're like, I'm just going to do one. I did the other one last year. So there are some people who have finished in like stages. Um, they did one one year and one the other. It's like a through hike where you do it in sections. Like yeah, you, yeah. You just tackle each one whenever you have. Whenever you have a chance. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think is going to happen this year? Are you going to host it? And if you do, what do you think the turnout's going to be? I didn't, really don't know. We are, I think we are going to host it. And I think we're going to do it. The main route is going to be on the new 2.0. I think it, it it's so much more accessible. You don't need a plus bike. You don't need, you don't need to be a hard ass. You know what I mean? So the 2.0 takes away the need for the bigger tire. Yeah, you can go down to a 2.2, I think. Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't ask you what the new route uh, needed. So down to a 2.2. So yeah, same same bike setup, just a, a skinnier tire. Yeah, 2.6 is still good. I rode it the Northern Loop on my 2.6s a few weeks ago. Yeah. It was great. What's the date for the Danger Bird tentatively? October 23rd, I think, a Saturday. Okay. We yeah. normally start super early in the morning. We meet on Friday. Everybody comes into town whenever they want. And then the locals kind of, if, if we can anyway, we hang out and do day rides and and then we have a little dinner on Friday night at wherever, some local place. Everybody gets to know each other. Yeah. It's really more about community at this point and encouraging pe- local people to get out there. That ends up happening a lot the last couple of years. Somebody that's finished said, hey, or come out with me. And then a little local group gets together and does part of it. I love that more than anything. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the turnout is this year. I'm hearing that participation is pretty high with everybody being locked down, that people are pretty itchy to get out and go do some yeah you know bike racing or bike riding in a group whatever you want to come out and do but you know people are ready to get outdoors it to be a little shameless for one minute Please. if i can yeah it would be nice if uh leo would come over and leo, ride leo, leo wilcox oh. and ride the new route i think she'd like it it's pretty you know it has some of that roads like the tour divide i think that's her favorite section of the tour divide is new mexico I'll have to ask her. So after this, I'm headed to Tucson to interview Lael tomorrow. 
The same Leo. This, the, actually, the same, yeah, Leo Wilcox, yeah, yeah, right. surprisingly. So I might be able to put in a good word for you. You mentioned that, maybe. Like, Leo, you know the Monumental Loop has all of your favorite roads. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only 10% the length of the Tour Divide. So really, it's just the best 10%. Just try it out. Just try it out. Come up, put a fast time. That would be sweet. And there's a local group of women, uh, super rad, all of them. And they're trying to sort of do something inspired by Lale's grit program. So when we, you know, before Corona, we always had a monumental talks, like a series of talks. So mm -hmm. I always thought, well, that'd be cool to get her to come over and sort of, I don't know, just sort of build that idea that that needs to happen. You know, I think if she were here, just her being here and talking to people would be like, oh, we get it now. Like there's a spark there. Yeah. <laughs> she does have that spark, man. No, that's, I mean, those programs, that's amazing. That's yeah. like, that's where it's at. And there's some women here that want to get that started getting bikes and getting money and to do that is always an issue but well it's an issue and it's an important one yeah yeah i mean a lot of people are, are um i mean Lael has a great program that that does that i'll put in a good word okay you convince me if <laughs> yeah, we're not, not even for me it's not really just well I, that's what that's i'm saying the key. I, it's not about me yeah because who am i that's not you're that's, no one uh, yeah that's nothing but you just you're the guy that picked up the microphone i could have <laughs> talked to anyone really I just happened to be hiking <laughs> hiking by this morning like, hey, man, what do you know about this route? Not much. Yeah, well, I wish I had more uh, more clout. I'll do my best to put some feelers out, get some people out here. If I was fast, I'd come out here and tear this thing up, let me tell you. Neil was going to come down, Neil Belchenko, yeah. but he went to Arizona, and I totally get it. Like, Arizona Trail 300, that route is rad, you know? And he's got a history with it. I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's a lot of really cool single track. Oh, in Arizona. you're saying this year he's going to yeah, do? Yeah, uh, but he went over there. And I'm like, man, that makes a lot of sense because beautiful over there. Arizona's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty nice. You're not too far away. No. You know, I was thinking there's, uh, I was just doing some thinking. Are you? <laughs> yeah, I was just doing some thinking in the background here with my other brain. <laughs> so one thing you were talking about last night was that the loop, it's actually a figure eight, right? With Las Cruces in the middle. You're right. Yeah. And so I think for just logistics, talk a little bit more about, you know, what that opens up for possibilities. And then I, I believe you were also saying that it, it creates better water opportunities for refilling water because that's a big issue out here. Yeah. Yeah. The figure eight had a couple reasons why it came to be that way. The main one was access to food and water. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice to come through town. If you make it one big loop, you spend, you know, more than 100 miles on the west side with limited access to, to water for sure. So, And it lets you now, I think, with the shorter route, the new 2.0 is 250 miles. It lets people break it up where the first day is from Las Cruces to Hatch is 50 miles. And then if you wanted to get a B&B &B in Hatch, uh, you could stay there and stay inside. You don't have to bike pack it. Mm -hmm. And then you can ride the 50 back to Cruces the next day. And get a hotel. And get a hotel. So you could credit card credit you card. You kind of could. Almost? Yeah, you kind of could. I mean... For huh. sure. Yeah. So, and I don't know if people are into that. I, I, Some people are, I know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they are. So Yeah, I mean, again, making it accessible, you know, bikepacking is growing exponentially. Like, you know, routes are popping up everywhere. People are popping up everywhere. And I really think that there's a need to make routes and these wild places more accessible. It is good to have hard and challenging routes because there's people that want that. But if I had to bet, you know, I feel like there's a greater contingent of 
people that are wanting to get outdoors and 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 just needing good routes. I mean, you know, that are, are that are doable. And you know, I can imagine that if you're getting into it, and maybe it's scary to come out here, you it know, is. for the first time. And like, if you knew that there's more resources, if you knew that there was a hotel with a shower, if you needed one where you could cry and take a bubble bath, like. You, you might, that might tip the scale and be like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to give that a shot. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. And people do need it and they want it. Like, cause we, we would host weekly or weekly rides a couple years ago. We still will get back to it when it's safe, but, and monthly campouts, we'd just say, Hey, we're going to ride like this right here tonight up to that campsite. Anybody that wants to come can come. Yeah. And every time there were two or three new people who'd never come and they're like, I've never tried bikepacking. I want to do it. I, I like that ride. I do that ride a lot. Uh, and then they loved it. And then they'd take their friends and it was just, so people do want to be doing this stuff, I think, but they need a little bit of a, a push or a little help to get going. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more than happy to actually, I won't physically push you because that is against the ethos of bikepacking. Sure. Though, but, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I just did a, a group ride in, uh, in Texas on my Sam Houston restaurant tour route a couple weekends ago, had one beginner show up. Two of the people were on their second bikepacking trip and one of them hadn't been in like 10 years or something, you know? Yeah. So it, it was just, it's so great to see like there, there's four newish or coming back to it bike packers and out of out of 12 so you know what is that 25 percent? pretty awesome yeah good skills on the math there real quick well it's early in the morning so my brain is still <laughs> functioning <laughs> give it time it wears out real quick <laughs> i think four out of 12 is not 25 percent. I, I is it <laughs> Four, that's three. But either way. 33, you, that was... You tried, you I tried. had 33 first, and I was like, I'm just, I feel like 25 is better. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you tried, though. I don't care. So what is on your radar personally? You've been doing a lot of, uh, lot of work on the route. I mean, are you, is there any, are there any rides that you want to do or races or events? Like, is there anything like outside of... Las Cruces little bubble here that's like on your radar? Yeah, the AZT, the Arizona Trail. Boom, that's a great one. Uh, I want to ride the whole 800 for sure, Yeah, um, which is sort of an argument against getting rim brakes on my new bike. I would like to take the new bike on the AZT. But yeah, that's the big one that's on the list. What are your goals? Racing it, touring it? No, I mean, my version of racing it, I suppose. Going kind of hard. Sleeping at night, though. Stopping when I need to. Maybe... 12 days like twice the record i think the record six days i'd want at least twice that yeah that seems reasonable you know <laughs> i'd want at least twice <laughs> i saw when i did the colorado trail i did it in 10 days i started like six days before the race started and then i just a couple of racers caught me oh that's cool and i got to walk with them and talk with them for a little bit yeah. as they were finishing the super hard effort so something like that would be pretty fun. It's nice to see those guys out there. And I've heard of other people doing it. I think that's a really neat way to do it. Just take off a few days ahead or, you know, yeah. depending on the length of the race. You know, take Arizona, off. you could start, you know, almost two, 10 days ahead, two weeks ahead. Yeah. You'd be way out of the way and then you'd get to see each one of them yeah. just going by totally cracked. I should do that for my podcast and see if any of them will stop. I'll just start early and be on the trail and get them. Somebody you know, would stop. They'd be like, I wanted to stop anyway. This is a yeah. great excuse. <laughs> some, some wouldn't, but I'll just hold a microphone out and they'll be, they'll stop if they want to. <laughs> it's amazing what some of those people do riding all night. Oh yeah. It's, Jeez. it's incredible. When are you looking to do that? Uh, it's hard to say cause the world is so weird right now. I've heard. Um, October maybe. You're gonna be busy October then. Yeah. But the danger bird is good prep for the Arizona trail. 
I think. Like, oh, I'll okay. be ready so, for it. It's similar writing. So you do it late October, early November then? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Whenever I yeah. can get over Anyway, there. you're, yeah. Yeah. Life is life. So whenever you finish at the Grand Canyon, are you going to go straight home? Are you going to spend a little time at the Grand Canyon? I used to work at the Grand Canyon, so no I'd, I'd probably want to spend some time there. I really like that place. Well, fuck yeah. What'd you uh, do there? I was a volunteer for a long time, and then after that, I got a job doing botany in the backcountry. Uh, invasive species removal, plant monitoring. So we'd like raft down the river or backpack in and just spend a bunch of time nerding out on plants, hiking around with some of the best people I've ever worked with, really. I mean, usually they are. I mean, people that do that, it's because they love it. It's not for the money. Yeah. It's definitely not for the money. Um, so, you know, people that, that do that line of work often are just passionate about doing it and wanting to do something that probably makes them feel a little good like oh, they're doing man, something, yeah and know? i like got to get paid to hang out with just really knowledgeable botanists in, in the grand canyon i'm like this is amazing we're just rafting and then we're i'm learning so much it was the best thing i'd ever done yeah yeah you basically play all day and then they give you a paycheck at the end of the week it kind of was i mean there were days where like well it's really too hot to work by you know national park standards so we should just float in the river all afternoon <laughs> sounds pretty sweet well, that sounds good, man. I wish you luck on that. Hope it. I hope it works out. AZT is like a big one on my bucket list. I, I've never ridden any of it, but it looks just perfect. I don't know if you've heard of the Triple Crown. It's the yeah. AZT, the CT, mm -hmm. and the Tour Divide. So there's also one for hiking. Yes. Um, and I kind of want to do both, finish you know, all six of those rides and hikes at some point so you've done the colorado trail you've yeah. done or you're you're planning to do the azt right what else have you done i've on done that? the hikes i've only done one of the three long hikes to the AT, appalachian trail at, AT that's what yeah I mean. the at but i'd like to do all three yeah that's a good goal yeah and i right now with kids it's easier to get out and do the biking ones because they don't take four months they take yeah you know 12 days or whatever yeah. so that's sweet. So you can knock off the AZT this year. And, and then go to the Tour Divide, maybe. Tour Divide in 2022 when it's opened up. Yeah, let it open up, let everything relax a little bit. So you're going to single speed it on AZT and the Tour Divide? I think, think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, might as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably won't rim break the AZT, but I might. <laughs> Could be the first person. Well, probably not I the bet, first, per yeah, first person in the last 10 years or something. Yeah. The last person, maybe. The first, oh, yeah. Not the, the last the person. The last person to rim break the AZT was. Matt Mason was the last person to ever. They'll say that for hundreds of years. That record you will hold. You should do it. <laughs> you just, that's a definitive reason to get disc brakes. It's so tempting, I got to say. Or, sorry, disc brakes. I'm so used to yeah. saying disc brakes, rim brakes. It's very tempting. Well, cool, dude. Thanks for uh, having me out to Las Cruces and on your monumental loop. I'm glad I got to see a little bit of it. Next time I come. I should probably stay longer. Yeah, now we got to rip in 10 miles of downhill back to town. So I'm looking forward to it. It's let's, not over. Let's be stewards of shred and that, get on this. I agree. Thanks, man. <laughs> now it was a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, Matt, come over here. I want to hey. talk to you real quick. Yeah. So I want to have a little uh, addendum to the episode that we just recorded because we just did how many miles? I mean, three or something? Yeah, maybe four. Yeah, a little four-mile descent. Um, it was super fun, but I realized like as I was riding it, you were holding out on me. Yesterday we went all uphill. Yeah. And it was beautiful because we were looking at the Oregon mountains the whole time. And that was really neat to like ride towards that. But the trail really wasn't like unlocked until I just did that descent. 
and it's so much fun. I mean, just a hundred percent fun. hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And on a night ride, if you just come up and do a day ride on this or whatever, you ride in the evening and you look at the sunset on the mountains, turn around, zip downhill back to town. This is a, as good as riding gets in Las Cruces, I think. I couldn't agree more. I, I was thinking it's like a true, it's a real like truth or consequences ride because just to describe it for people, it's really loose, sandy, rocky, gnarly. And there's been a couple of times on this trip where got going a little too fast on some of the rocky stuff. And I hit a real meaty rock back there with no suspension. And I've really absorbed a, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you got going the wrong way, you're going to hit a rock or there's also cactus just lining the trail. So there's these beautiful switchbacks yeah. that are slippery. So, you know, you got to hit them right. I saw where some people have gone into the cactus. People do. And I think it just takes a little bit of practice. And once you get the hang of it, you just start to increase the speed. And it always kind of is fun. You know what I mean? I begin, my daughter comes out here, seven years old, rides the trails, no problem. Um, oh, and then I can push it to the max where I'm on the very edge of keeping it under control you know what i mean so it, it can kind of offer both yeah i could totally see that and also like one thing i was thinking i wanted to amend or i didn't i didn't talk about my experience riding my bike on this trail because i'm actually on a 2.1 rigid with drop bars and i'll say for me from my perspective after especially riding that like going uphill you know not having suspension not having a lot of traction isn't that big of a deal yeah. but I'm on 2.1s and I'd love at least a 2.4 <laughs> and with no suspension I think what you have uh, a rigid with 2.6 is probably pretty good. I think it's ideal. I think 29 by 2.6 or 27 and a half by 2.6 is fantastic. Or you can you don't have to worry as much about line choice and then yeah. you can go faster and sometimes that can be pretty fun going down especially a hill like that when you yeah. just kind of let it go and Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh I just had to hop back on two things. One just to tell people that was real i mean out of all the single track i've ridden that's really fun on a loaded bike under biking a little bit so it was a little gnarly in spots you know but i mean that's when it's fun you know yeah, i'm stoked you loved it and you liked it and got to ride it so yeah buddy made my day yeah, and i also had to amend the fact that 2.1s no not for me <laughs> maybe for some people you're what are you on phil two and a quarter two and a quarter it, it works pretty well yeah well, you're used to the trails. Y'all are y'all are experts out here. So for for newbies, not used to like all the looseness. Yeah, two point four or two point six. Yeah, think is the way to go. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So how much longer we got to get back to town? We're basically in town now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're on the edge, and then we'll just go to that mountain, and then go kind of south around the mountain. Uh, that's Tortugas Mountain, right on the edge of town. Nice. No more hills, right? No more hills. All right. Let's go. Woo, 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 woo. Alert, alert, alert. Um, hot fire news. I had wrapped up the intro and the outro when I get a email from my friend Greg over at Rockgeist. And he has just committed to being a patron perk member. So for patrons going forward, as of this episode, free shipping at Rockgeist. Unfortunately, it only applies in the U.S. because shipping is getting super crazy overseas. He apologizes. If you're in the U.S., free shipping on Rockgeist bags, custom made in Asheville, North Carolina. Thank you, Greg, for your support. Appreciate it. And we're going to be collecting more and more of these patron perks to 
just make it a little bit more worth your while to sign up as a patron and to thank you for being a patron. Because like I said in the last episode, if you're going to sign up to contribute to the podcast every month, I want to give you some benefits that will be available to you as a sustaining member of the show. I think it's fair. And again, want to thank Rock Guys. Oh shit, I almost forgot. The other thing that I worked out with Greg is if you do order something from Greg and you want a Bikes or Death patch sewn on as a patron, just let me know and we will send Greg whatever patch you want and he'll sew it on for free. Okay, so free shipping, free patch, any of the Bikes or Death patches that we have available, just let me know. We'll send it to Greg and he'll slap that bad boy on there for you. Cool? Okay, that's it. I don't know where this is going to get fit into the show, but uh, I just had to hop on because that's hot fire news. Thanks, Craig. All right, that is it for today's episode. You could tell that that single track after in the interview coming down back into town was so much fun. I wish I had a, a better tire. Those tires I had on there, I was not liking, especially for that terrain, but whatever. It made it a little bit more sketchy, which obviously adds to the excitement. So there was a couple moments where I almost ate shit, but of course I didn't because I'm a pro. I don't fucking wreck. I just get close sometimes. It was some damn good single track. So I had to hop back on the iPhone and just kind of capture that because it really was like ear to ear shit eating grin good kind of single track yeah man matt's a cool dude he's a beast on a bike too he might seem laid back but i think he's a beast he's a solid rider i'll say that i i mean i'm not gonna say he's like something because i really don't know i i don't fucking know even if he was fast i wouldn't be able to see it because i wouldn't be able to keep up with him so it doesn't matter but Matt was a really cool guy to hang out with. It was really nice of him to really roll the red carpet out. I kept telling him, man, he, he was like really hospitable. You could tell he was very passionate about the route, the community, and, and what they're working on. You know, they got some hurdles that they're working through, but that's what it really takes is, is people that are willing to spend their time for the greater good, really see a vision of something they're not talking about just let's go ride bikes, bro. We kind of joke around about the sustainable economic development, but the truth is that's real. You know, they're looking to create that in their community. And, and those are things that are important. And those are things that we should be highlighting and supporting. And so, yeah, I just want to thank the guys over there for all the work that they're doing for having me out, showing me around and for a great interview. All right, everybody. Well, that's it. We've got two more in the can. Next up is going to be Lael Wilcox. Obviously, I am beyond excited to have her on the podcast again. This will be my third episode with Lael, and I don't think I'll ever get used to it. Like I'm still a nerdy, geeked out, super fan, whatever. I mean, I should probably start a Leo Wilcox fan page on Facebook. Don't do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. So that's mine. You, It costs $25 to sign up. Then that's it. And then we're just her fan. It's fine. Don't worry about it. But I am a genuine fan of hers. Like she is 
her and Mike Hall are the two people who inspired the fuck out of me when I was just, just getting introduced to bikepacking. You know, I remember just watching them. They're like unparalleled optimism and the light in their eyes and the like determination. I don't know, man, those, those two people to me really always stood out as like next level humans. And while I never thought I could achieve, get to that level, I always found them to be inspirational and they really like helped unlock in my mind this idea that, Hey, maybe I can go do some version of this. And I feel like I owe her a ton. And I think that the community at large probably does. I know in conversations I have with people that uh, Leo's pretty well regarded as a um, very inspirational person. And I think it's deserved. Like I'm a nobody. The first time I interviewed her was episode 10. Nobody knew about me. I had no street cred. I guess now I have a little bit, but just because I've been doing it a while, you know, but I'm still just like a regular guy that likes to ride bikes and isn't very, you know, accomplished in any other way. So for her to be so open, like anytime I say, hey, Lael, you want to interview? She just says yes. You know, she's just that kind of person. And she rode her bike up to interview. We interviewed up on Mount Lemon, which is beautiful, by the way. But she's just always so like gracious with her time. And I love her honesty. Anyway, we'll get it more into her episode, you know, obviously next week. So then after that, I drove to Santa Fe, met up with John Watson, who is the owner of The Radivist. And I'm sure you know him and are familiar with his pictures, but not a lot of people know him and know a lot about him. I certainly didn't. Um, he spent some time in Austin. So actually my old neighbor and my old bike shop manager, like Tom and Peru, shout out guys. Um, they both like knew John back when he lived in Texas, back in his fixie days and all that kind of stuff. So like, I've kind of heard about John here and there, but anyway, didn't know a lot about him. It was cool to like, just get to meet him. And as I said in a blog post today, I'm always just really pleased, I guess, whenever I meet people that everyone I met this weekend, Matt, Lael, John, like they're all just cool, normal, down to earth people. And they're all inspired and impassioned in different ways to pursue different things. And it comes out in different ways, but they all make up like a, a, a part of the fabric of this community. You know, like that's the cool thing. It's all of our uniqueness and it is our like diversity is a popular word going around right now, but it is the diversity of all of us and all of our experiences and all of our passions and the things that we pursue that make up this community and make it what it is. And, and man, in my experience, most of us are pretty cool, pretty down to earth, good people who are trying. And John and I really kind of get a little bit deeper into some of that kind of stuff. And uh, he was just like honest, hard on my sleeve. This is who I am kind of guy. And that's the kind of guy that I am, or at least I certainly try to be. And so that really resonated with me. And then he took my bike's fucking picture. Woo! <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie. That was fucking cool. That was like... I'll tell my grandkids about it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm a bike nerd. What can I say? All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. If you can, if you're interested in supporting the show, head over to that bikesordeath.com. I hear it is pretty sweet. That's the rumor on the street. So head over there if you can. 
buy some merch, support the show, whatever you can do. Until next time, thank you so much. And don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself just a few more miles. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Bikes.